Jesus asked the question, I'm coming down here. Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, and of course he was referencing himself, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't that an odd question for Jesus to ask? But if you watched that old video that I just showed you, called Classic Jesus, you have to know that a lot of times we put on Jesus, we portray ourselves to be something, but many times what's happening out here has not yet hit us in here. And it's the worst kind of Christianity to have. When Jesus isn't real, when he's manufactured, let's talk about the Bible story today. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The early Christians would have looked at the story that you read today, and they would have seen that as a separate story from other other story. They had plenty of stories to tell. But Luke, for some reason, wrote this one down. And the reason Luke wrote it down is because what those early Christians had seen and experienced and were telling each other. Somebody had to make a record, and this was representative of what it was like for the early church to have, be, have been overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something interesting. They were continuing attendance at the temple. Understand, that's the Jewish temple. It's not church yet. It's not the gathering of Christians yet. They were still, even though they were Christians, participating in the early Jewish way of doing their religious work. But they were also watching stuff. The apostles, they were doing miraculous things. The Holy Spirit had come on them. The, the, the apostle Peter had stood up and preached this dynamic, outstanding message. And the Bible says thousands came to faith in Christ. Why are they in Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the center of Jewish faith. It would seem more reasonable that Jesus' followers would have been in Galilee, but they're, they're here in Jerusalem. The reason they're there is because Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem. Stay there and wait. The Pentecost happens, and now they're moved, and now they're changed. And this story's been written down. In the second verse, it tells us simply, a man lame from his birth was being carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to beg or to ask alms of those entering the temple. It's pretty simple. Every day, this man was carried out. And you need to understand that it isn't the same thing as what we see at the exits on our freeways. And it wasn't that everybody that walked by this man would have given him something. Actually, there's a likelihood that he had to wait a while in between when someone would help him out. And as Peter and John come up through that gate that's called Beautiful, he asked them, do you have anything to give me? Now this man's lame from birth. He's been carried to this gate. For Jews to not give would be seen as less than meritorious. In fact, if you ever took an extra credit test, almsgiving was kind of that way. It, it kind of was felt that it gave you the extra push. 
But maybe that man was placed there every day for a little guilt trip. I don't know. But he asked Peter and John, can you help me out? Peter looked at him. He directed his stare at him. And John looked as well. And they said, look at us. He didn't say, here's something for you. He said, look. And he fixed his attention on them. And he expected that they were going to give him something. This beggar thought he had a benefactor, didn't he? He thought that, that Peter had stopped to speak to him to give him some money. But Peter said this, I have no silver or gold. Now, stop for a minute. Why did Peter have no silver or no gold? He had been a fisherman. Surely he had something. Well, if you remember in the early church, they had put everything together in order that they all could live. Peter really didn't have any silver or gold. So he looks at the man and says, I've got nothing. But the one thing I have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, Peter's invoking the power and the presence of Jesus. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you rise up and walk. And it says that Peter took him by the hand. He raised him up. And it says immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. This man had immediate healing. And he leaped up and he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. Let me say that to you another way. He stands up. He leaps. He walks. He enters. He walks. He leaps. He praises Count the verbs right there. There's seven of them in one verse. You wouldn't know this when you read the Bible, but when you, when you get into the scholars that study this stuff, they're bothered by this eighth verse. There's too much happening. Running, leaping, praising God, walking, all that stuff, it upsets them. And you know, I think the reason that some of us might be upset by all of this activity it's because we just want from God just what we want from God. There's a guy named Wilbur Reese, and he said this. He wrote this. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul. Not enough to disturb my sleep. Just enough that equals a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough to make me love people that aren't like me, and I don't want enough to make me pick beats with some migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want one pound of the eternal in a paper sack. Could you give me $3 worth of God, please? Can I tell you something? That's what most people want. Just enough. But Peter throws it all at him. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he leaps up, he stands up, he begins to walk, he goes in the temple. And the whole time he's walking and leaping and praising God. And suddenly all the people saw him doing that. And they recognized this man. That's the guy that used to sit out there at the temple gate. That's the guy that used to beg out there. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, Isaiah had said this, and I'm going to put this one up on the screen. Isaiah had said these words, 
The lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That was Isaiah's way of saying the Messiah, when he comes, this is what it will look like. Lame men will leap like deer. You go and you look at what has happened to the church because of Acts chapter 2, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want you to consider this for a minute. In Acts chapter 2, the, the chapter before this, if you know your Bible, Peter is preaching to a crowd. But in Acts chapter 3, he is dealing here with one single person. In Acts chapter 2, Peter has multitudes out in front of him as he preaches. But here in Acts chapter 3, there's just this one individual. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is doing this ministry which brings blessing to the church. But in Acts chapter 3, what's going to happen to Peter is no blessing. He's going to get arrested. He's going to get persecuted. And then he's going to get thrown in jail. Three dollars worth of God's news. No more, no less. Just a brown paper bag so I don't get myself in trouble. Just enough that I feel warm inside, but not enough that I upset anybody else's apples. I want to suggest to you that Christianity, when it's practiced, might actually be dangerous to your health. Maybe we ought to put a Surgeon General warning on the Bible. If you really pay attention to this, you may really have some issues. You see, Peter's about to find out. He raised this man up, put him up on his feet in the name of Jesus. And when the man went leaping and praising God, what happens in the next chapter is Peter's going to go to jail. He and John both. In the book of Luke, chapter 5, listen to what it says about James and John, these two that were, uh, uh, that were or, or Peter, rather, and John. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. Jesus said to Simon, this is Peter that preached the message, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And it was Peter and John, these same two, that prepared the last Passover meal for Jesus. Jesus sent Peter and John in the book of Luke 22 and said, go get the Passover ready that we may eat it. And you may remember from Easter Sunday morning, that it was Peter and John who wind up outrunning each other, racing to the tomb to see the risen Lord. And you may also remember that Peter and John were the two that were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. You may remember that here on this day, Peter preaches a message walks out, goes to the temple, raises this man up on his feet, and he doesn't say, I'm so great I can do this. He says, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, rise up and walk. You know, the psalmist, King David, wrote these words. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard or the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. Why do I bring that up to you? Because Peter and John, before they really got a hold of who Jesus was, they were arguing with each other about who would be first in the kingdom. 
But now that the Holy Spirit's come and Jesus has ascended to heaven and they've been sent out on behalf of the church, they have one purpose and one purpose only, to bring the world to Christ. This man was born lame. He couldn't walk. Do you realize that that's a lot like us? We are all born into sin, unable to please God. In Romans 12, Romans 3, rather, it says this. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all of us because we've all sinned. And that passage in Romans, it goes on and on about how sin has come to each of us. And we feel so bad for this man at the temple gate called Beautiful who's laying there with lame legs, who can't get up, who has to have people carry him there every day, who's begging for money. We never realize our own neediness. We never realize our own sinfulness to the point to realize that we can't do anything about our issues. This man was poor. You and I are bankrupt before God. You remember that lady who came in with the alabaster box of ointment? Got down on her knees and wiped Jesus' feet, weeping as she went, wetting her feet with her tears and wiping them off with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and then anointing them with the ointment. That's all she had. This poor man had nothing. You and I don't realize that even though nobody's carried us to this place, we've placed ourselves in the same position by virtue of our sin. We too are bankrupt before God. This man was outside the temple, and what we don't realize is that we are separated from God ourselves. No matter how close we are to the temple door, to the gate of heaven, if you would, we still don't have God. Ephesians 2, it says this. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so no one can, mo can boast. This man was healed by one thing, and that is God's grace. This man asked for help. I need to heal. Give me some money so I can get through. And we look for God's help when what we really need is God's grace. These apostles had no money to give to this man, and this man didn't need money most. What this man actually needed was healing. He needed not just physical healing, but heart healing, soul healing, if you would. And we'll get down on our knees just like him, and we'll pray, and we'll ask God for help. Lord, let me pass this test. Lord, just let me get through this next day. Lord, will you just see to it that I can have this? And when he does, we recognize that our prayers are real good, but we fail to recognize how much better his grace is. And that brings me to my bottom line. When God takes your hand, there should be no question on where you stand. So let me explain to you why I said that today. When God takes your hand, there should be no question where you stand. This man walked and leaped and praised God. He stood up. He began to walk. He entered the temple. He praised God in the temple. 
And what that got him was arrested. When you get down to the very next verse, you will find that he's in trouble with the authorities. He's identifying with the apostles. They said, who is this? That's the man that was laying outside the temple daily. How did you get this way? He raised me up. He made me better. The whole time he's clinging to Peter and John, the people are looking on. They're astounded, but they don't get it. We hold on like he held on to Peter and John, to Jesus, like he's our life raft. And we should do that because he is. And Peter stood with this man. And this man stood with Peter when he was arrested. And the scripture says that the Pharisees, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, had nothing to say in opposition. What I want you to see is how excited this man was about Jesus. How excited this man was about Jesus. You know, I there was a football game this past Thursday at those great Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know some of you here know my grief at this hour because they lost. They lost to their arch enemy, the Cleveland Browns. But on Facebook, there was this great catch that was made, and they put the video out there, and I took that baby, and I put it out because at that point in the game, I was sure we were going to win. And man, was I wrong. Now, didn't all my Cleveland Browns fans let me know? I saw a little meme, and it had a cat standing up on its back legs walking like this. That's how all the Cleveland Browns fans walked into work Friday morning proud that the Browns won. You know what this man did? You have anything to give me? Peter said, I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know what this man did? He quietly walked out of the temple and went home and just went on about his life. No. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Knowing Jesus has healed your soul, forgiven your sin, raised you up in newness of life, ought to do something to you. My friend Jack is now dead. May he rest in peace. But Jack used to tell me, if you're happy and you know it, you ought to inform your faith. We ought to inform our words. This man informed his whole body. He went running and leaping and praising God. And when God reaches down and takes your hand, church, there should be no question where you're standing. You know, we live in an age where we have been conditioned by our culture to believe that I'm okay and you're okay. And we're not supposed to tell each other when we're not. And likewise, we're, we're conditioned to believe I'm okay and you're okay. And we're not allowed to tell each other when we know something better. And church, every week you come and you're here and I am too. And we don't have something better. We have the best. And that is Jesus. And if we really have it in our heart and he's really taken us by the hand and he stood up on our feet and forgiven our sin and give us a, a hope for a future, Somebody ought to inform our faith as well as our mouth. You see, the reason the disciples stayed in Jerusalem 
was not just so they could meet this single man. It was so they could meet all the people that needed our baptized. And I believe that you and I are here right now for such a time as this, for this community to reach into Jesus, not to come into this cubicle every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but reach the community for Jesus. To tell them there is one that forgives, that heals, and to make them well. Amen. Is God good? Well, what's the thing about him? Let me pray about it.